great to be together tonight. Um, if you are here for the first time, we started three weeks ago, we started a series um, in the book of Romans, and it's been quite a journey up until this point. Um, we're week four into it, and I'm not going to recap every single week that we've done. This is going to be too long, and then eventually when we're like 16 weeks in to do all of that, the whole sermon itself will be a recap of every other sermon. So I'm just going to briefly touch on what we spoke about last week. So last week what we did was we moved into a whole new section in the book of Romans where Paul is now move, has moved out of his introduction and into the first major section where he starts to speak about why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so good. And that's because the wrath of God is coming and is being poured out on people outside of Jesus, right? In a nutshell, that's what we spoke about. And it was quite a, quite a convicting message and quite a, quite, a, quite a heavy message, but a really good one because that's the reason why the gospel is such good news. Right? But we're not out of that section. Right? Paul, Paul is still painting a hopeless picture here. We've moved into chapter 2, and he continues to paint a hopeless picture all the way to chapter 3. But don't worry, it'll be getting better. Right? It'll be getting better. But what he does essentially in these, in these verses is um, he, he addresses three groups of people. And the first group we looked at last week, but Paul essentially says all of the stuff that they do applies to us as well. In one way or another, we are part of this brokenness. But he addresses the godless. And then he moves on and he addresses the moralist, the person who doesn't necessarily say there isn't a God, but is maybe agnostic or maybe says there is a God, but doesn't really, you know, follow the Lord or a God in any way, but because they're good, they think they're going to deserve or that they do deserve heaven, that they're going to get into heaven. And so Paul addresses them and goes, just because you do stuff that's morally right and you have a conscience doesn't mean you're going to get into heaven. And, and then he moves on to a group of people called the Jews, right? And he starts to address them. And he shows them that they're just as guilty as everybody else. And I really felt like God wanted us to spend some time on that this evening because it applies really well to us as Christians. And um, it just felt like it was, it was something we need to be touching on um, because I think this whole idea of being okay with God just because we bear a specific name is prevalent within the church. And it's called hypocrisy, right? And, uh, and I think God wants us to deal with that. So Pretty much up until verse 17 in chapter 2, the Jewish people were feeling pretty comfortable. And I, I suppose nodding their head at Paul's indictment on people who didn't know the Lord and were living the way that they were living. They were most certainly nodding their heads in approval, like a lot of us do, and myself included, at the punishment and the wrath of God that was coming against the wickedness of the world that we live in. Right? And I think there's a place for, for righteous and holy discontent and, and righteous anger and righteous indignation. But I think the Jews up until chapter 2, verse 17, were nodding their heads going, yeah, you deserve this. That's right. Tell them, Paul. God's going to whack them. And I think that they missed the, missed the idea, and that's why Paul had to go there. He, they missed the idea that they too were under the wrath of God. The Jewish people considered themselves, or let's just say religious people, considered themselves to be safe. Jews particularly because they were Abraham's descendants. They were God's chosen people. They had been given the law of the Lord by God himself. They did a lot of outward stuff in keeping with the law. They considered themselves to be quite 
religious, and yet that's exactly what the problem was for them. I hate it when somebody calls me religious. I've got a lot of friends who don't know the Lord, and they say, oh, Rolls, yes, you're so religious. And I go, please don't call me that, because I'm not religious in that sense of the word. If by religious you mean I follow Jesus, and I endeavor every day to be obedient to Him and to love Him, then sure, call me religious. But if by religious you mean I follow a set of rules, and I think that those rules save me, or that somehow God's going to be more impressed with me, then no, I'm not religious. And the problem with religion that the Jews didn't see at the time was that religion has got no ability to change the heart of a person. You can know a whole bunch of right stuff. You can preach and teach people a whole bunch of right stuff. You can even believe it in your head. But religion itself doesn't have a mechanism or a way of changing you from the inside. Religion cannot do that. And without a changed heart, religious people, because of their, you know, hard and fast ways of doing certain things, thinking that God's going to be impressed by that, are somehow trying to portray themselves as something different to what they know they are on the inside. And that's called hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is dangerous. And because of hypocrisy, the wrath of God is coming and is being poured out on men. And you're not safe if you're religious and think that by what you do, you're going to impress God and get into heaven. And so Paul's turning of his attention to the Jewish people in chapter 2 is very much the same as him turning to us and is very much true that he's turning to us going, it's the same for you guys as well. Now today, not just for the Jewish people in Rome back then, but now for you Christians, I want to write to you, God speaking to us and going, we need to check our hearts and just make sure that when we read sections like this in Romans and we read about the wrath of God and we read about the wickedness of men, that we don't exclude ourselves just because we've branded ourselves a specific way. To those who think that they're safe because they know certain things or because they do certain things, God says it's like you have a form of godliness, but you deny its power. So we're going to read together. We're not going to unpack every verse um, by verse, so don't be panicked when we read. It's a bit of a chunk, and then we'll unpack really essentially from verse 17. But from verse 5, it just sets context for us, and then we'll unpack from verse 17 down to 29. Here's what Paul says, chapter 2 in, in, in Romans, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. So we're still in this wrath section. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immorality, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And at this point, they're probably like, huh? I'm sure Paul didn't mean that. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Yes, Paul, I can agree with that. For God does not show favoritism. And he goes on a bit, and we skip to verse 17, and then he turns to the Jewish people and he says, Now you, 
If you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. Verse 28, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Paul establishes some really strong stuff here. But I just want to say this from the outset. I don't think someone who's living a hypocritical life, a religious life, does that on purpose and deliberately gets themselves into it like they think, I know what I'll do. I'll just bring the wrath of God down upon myself by pretending that I'm somebody I'm not. I think that might be a good way to go. I think people end up in a religious lifestyle because of pride and insecurity. Pride creeps in and they go, I just want people to respect me. I don't want them to know what I'm truly like. I want to be honored by people. And so I'm going to pretend on the outside that I'm something that I'm not by doing a whole bunch of stuff that looks virtuous and honorable. Or if people really knew what I was like, they wouldn't accept me or love me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pretend like I'm not this person. And so I'm going to put this thin veneer of religiosity over myself, and I'm going to try and impress people. But what ends up happening is we forget that God is the one who looks straight into the heart. God looks at the heart. God examines the heart of a man, the heart of a woman, and he goes, this is real or this is fake. And we can be fooled left, right, and center. We're fooled all the time. And I just want to say as we go through these things, I've been all of them. I've been the godless, I've been the moralist, and I've been the religious. Been there. In verses 17 through, Paul mentions at least three reasons why hypocrisy is so dangerous. And the first one is this. Hypocrisy deceives the hypocrites. And it deceives the hypocrite. And one of the ways it does that is by having the person think that because they bear a certain name, they belong or belong to a certain community or do certain things or go certain places, they're going to be saved. In verse 17, Paul says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, and it might not seem significant, that statement, it might seem a little bit out of place to just single it out like that. But what Paul is doing is he's going straight to the heart of what it means to be a Jew, and that's their identity as a Jew. He's saying, don't rely on the fact that you're a Jew. Another way you can interpret that is by Paul saying, or you can switch around, and basically what Paul's saying, them is, saying to them is this, just by being a Jew doesn't mean that you're saved. Don't just bank on the fact that you're a Jew and think that you're going to get to heaven. Sure, you're God's chosen people, but you've totally misinterpreted and misapplied what it means to be a chosen people. You've misinterpreted what it means to be elected. You've become puffed up with pride and you think that God has chosen you just because somehow you deserve it. Paul says you haven't deserved it. 
You're not just going to get into heaven because you're a Jew. You're not just going to be saved because of a name that you bear or a family you were born into or because of a forefather you share in common. And here's how this applies to us. In the church today, there's so many people who think that just because they're born into a Christian home, they're going to heaven. If you come from a Christian home, it is an amazing thing. It is such a great testimony. I speak to young people all the time who go, oh, Rolls, the fact that you blew yourself up with a chlorine bomb is such a cool testimony. And it is pretty cool because God saved me, but it's also really stupid what I did. Right? And I've got a lot of hurt and pain and baggage from my past that God's really had to deal with over the years. To come from a Christian family, to have that legacy is amazing especially in this culture and this day and age, to be brought up in a home where God is honored by your parents and then they hand their faith over to you, that's amazing. But in the handing over of the faith, you've got to come to a place where you go, I love Jesus. So that's what Paul's saying to us. He's saying you can't just assume because you have a godly family or because you call yourself a Christian or because you come to Christian community things or because you attend a, a Bible study or because like your really close relatives are Christians and are praying for you. None of that stuff counts towards you being okay with God. It's your decision to follow Jesus and a personal commitment to Him. It's not an inherited or a passed on or a inferred or by osmosis salvation. They're also deceived, hypocrites are deceived into, into thinking that just because they know and believe God's commands, that they're going to be saved. Here's what Paul says, he says, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law, I want to add my own words in there, don't think that that's going to save you. Don't think that you're not the same as the person that I've spoken about in verses 18 to 32. Don't think that you're godless just because you know God's law and approve it and that you boast in God. Obviously, it's good to know God. Obviously, it's good to know God's law. Obviously, it's good to approve it. However, the problem with religious people is that they think just because they've received it, just because there was a Torah on, you know, the shelf in the room, or just because we've got Bibles on our tables at home, or wherever it is that you find Bibles lying around in your home, just because you've got them lying there and they're open to like your special verse, doesn't mean that you're going to be saved. Doesn't mean God is impressed. Just because you know it, doesn't mean you're being obedient to it. The Jews were super obedient to certain laws that God had given. They were zealous about ceremonial cleansing. They were super meticulous about their tithing, so much so that they would even tithe table salt and table spices. And you weren't allowed to work, walk a certain amount of steps on the Sabbath far away from your home. And so what they would do to get around this, to circumvent this, because they want to go somewhere, and I don't want to be like not honoring God, and so I'd take a bit of my home with me. I'd take a bit of salt with me, and then I'd chuck it there. And then I'd walk five paces from the salt, and then chuck more salt. And so I'm never five paces away from home. They fasted and prayed at stipulated times. Yet, despite all of that, Jesus rebukes them. He says this, You've honored God with your lips, but while you were doing that, your hearts were far from Him. I think we've got to take a look into our hearts and think to ourselves, you know, how much of God's Word am I being obedient to because I've been transformed by God? And how much of my salvation is based on how much knowledge I have and how much outside stuff I do that's impressing God? 
They didn't seek to please God from the heart. You see, hypocrisy is all about maintaining an outward appearance with no regard to obedience from the heart. And that's why Paul says what he says right up in the beginning. That's why we read verses 5, I think, through a little bit before we got to verse 17. He says, those through persistence in doing good are going to inherit the kingdom. Not because good works saves you, but because good works is an outworking of a genuine salvation. It's the result of having come to know Jesus in a genuine way. The third way that hypocrites are deceived is to think that because they know theological fine points, they're safe. But they know them not for the sake of obedience, but to impress others. I've sat around the table with a lot of people who can really put forward a lot of theological arguments in a really wonderful way, but they're declared atheists or agnostics, and they know a lot of theology. Even Christians who know theology and think that because of the knowledge that they have of theology, they're going to be saved or somehow we're better. And, and we gain this knowledge not to, to know God's word and to fall deeper in love with him and to live a discerning life, but so that we can sit around a table with somebody and win an argument or impress them with my intelligence and my intellect. It's a good thing to diligently study the word of God. It's a good thing to know theology. It's a good thing to dive deep into the word of God. We've got to watch our hearts and go, what is my intended purpose for this? Is it to know my king? Is it to walk with Jesus, or is this to impress people, or is this in some way me thinking that I'm going to impress God? See, the, the issue with someone who's living a hypocritical life is not that their moral judgments are wrong. It's not that your ability to discern between what's right and what's wrong is wrong. That's, that's not the issue. It's the moral conduct of the hypocrite's life. That's the issue. That's what Paul's saying to the Jewish people here. Man, I've laid into the godless. We've spoken about the moralist. But you guys, your religiosity is going to kill you just as much as the godless and their faithlessness to God. It's not that you don't know what's right and what's wrong. It's not that you're not zealous for what's right and what's wrong. It's because you're zealous and you don't live it out that it's a problem. That's the problem. The goal of understanding theology is never to win arguments or to impress others. The goal of understanding theology and reading God's word is to bring us to a place where we are humbled before the Lord, where we are fervently desiring to be obedient to him through the empowering of the spirit because he's done such a good thing in our lives. The last way the hypocrites deceived is because they confidently teach others but don't apply the word to themselves. That's what Paul says. He says, and pretty much rhetorical here, he says, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children. And by the way, this is what hypocrites do. This is what religiosity will do. They're convinced that they can see and others can't. That somehow they're in the light and others are not because of their knowledge. And that they're an instructor Sit down, let me teach you, you little child. Sit down, you foolish person, and I'm going to hand knowledge over to you, and, 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 and hopefully one day when you're clever enough to get all this knowledge, you'll be like me. 
It says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? He's not asking them, wanting to know what the answer is. He knows. It's saying, basically, he's saying, you then who teach others not to steal, you also steal. You who say to people you should not commit adultery, you also commit adultery. You who abhor idols, do you not rob temples? God had appointed Israel to be Israel to be a light to the nations, to open the eyes of the blind. And in the same way, He's appointed us, His church, to do the same thing today. And here's the thing. If the, Israel, if the Israelites had done it with humility and with reverence before the Lord, it would have been a proper, obedient thing to do, to call out the sin of the other nations. Like it is for us today. We need to be calling out sin. We need to be standing up as Christians going, this is godlessness. This is not okay. We're going to take a stand and we're going to live out our faith according to the word of God. But the problem comes in when we have hearts that are still corrupt. And we paint ourselves with a veneer of righteousness. But the depths of our lives don't reflect their love and a passion for Jesus. Knowledge without obedience puffs up, it says in 1 Corinthians 8, which is the root of hypocrisy. A bunch of knowledge puffed up with pride, and there's no outworking of this in your life. Let me just say what it's like to be someone who teaches and preaches the Word of God. I think we should all be teaching and preaching the Word of God whenever we can, but God has given certain people a, a real privilege, and I'm one of them, of getting to stand up on a Sunday and on a Friday night and on a Sunday morning and preach the Word of God. And I just want to say, don't for a second think that because we get to preach and teach it, we've got it right. Or don't for a second think that I know the answer and that the Christian life isn't difficult to live. Preaching and teaching is the easy part. That's the easy part. I find living the Christian life incredibly challenging. And the more you preach and teach the Word of God, the more you realize God's Word is not just a sharp-pointed arrow or a double-edged sword. It is a boomerang. And the harder you throw it and the faster you throw it, the faster and harder it comes back and claps you. Calvin, who said it would be better for the preacher to break his neck going up into the pulpit if he didn't take the pains to first follow God in that area himself. Before we meet, before we preach others, we need to apply the word of God to our own hearts. We're not going to spend too much time in the next couple of points. That was the one we're going to spend the most time on because it applies mostly to us. But the second reason why hypocrisy is so dangerous is because it damages the unbeliever. As the Paul says, it's written, God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. What Paul is doing is he's, he's citing Isaiah 52, where because of the nation of Israel's sin, they were destroyed and taken into captivity. Because of their sin, godless nations mocked them and mocked God. In their minds, because this nation was captured, their, their thinking was that their God was unable to deliver them. But the real cause of their captivity was not God's inability to rescue them. The real cause of their um, captivity was their disobedience 
to God, and that made God look bad. The point is this. If we tell others that we're Christians and we're living a hypocritical religious life, unbelievers will mock the Christian faith because they will hear what you preach, they will see where you go, and they will also see what you do. One of the reasons why the next generation that we're ministering to is so disconnected from the church is because they cannot reconcile the things people say with what they actually do behind closed doors. They cannot reconcile them. I want to bring this up, and I know it's a sensitive thing, but I think about what happened at Common Ground and the amount of people affected there. I've spoken to young people who go, I don't know where I'm at with my faith because of that. If you don't know what happened at Common Ground, come speak to me afterwards. But it's not just Common Ground. It's all over the place. You've got pastors spraying people in the face with doom, trying to exercise demons. You've got pastors selling anointed pens and making hundreds and thousands of rands of pens that are anointed and giving them to matriculants. You've got people doing a whole bunch of ungodly, demonic stuff in the name of Christianity. And it's hypocritical and satanic. And people are walking away from the church because of it. And it's not God. It doesn't matter how much you say to him, it's not God, it's people. People are what God has chosen to represent his name. And that's why it is such an honorable thing to bear the name Christian. But it is also incumbent upon us to pray and ask God for the power of the Spirit to live the life He's called us to live. Because whether you like it or not, when you bear that name, you are in a fishbowl. And people are looking. People are looking. You don't have to pretend and fake it. That would be doing exactly what Paul says you mustn't do. You just got to be real. If a professing Christian is dishonest in business or immoral in their personal life or abusive towards their family, the world concludes, why on earth follow their God? Who needs that kind of life? We're not perfect. We don't always get it right. I think there's a misunderstanding that Christians think that they're perfect. We don't think that we're perfect. The difference between someone who's saved and not saved is I know I'm not perfect and I, know, and I know I need Jesus. That's the difference. And I'm going, I don't get it wrong. I mean, I don't get it right. I get it wrong all the time. And I need, I need Jesus' help every day. That's why Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I think if Christians worked out their, their faith with fear and trembling more often, we'd be a lot less accused of being hypocrites. And more just people who are trying to honor God. While it's possible for God to save people apart from us, He's chosen us to be His hands and feet. I think one of the reasons why sinners stay away from the church is because they're too scared to be judged by hypocritical Christians. In the book of Revelation 3 15 to 20, Jesus is speaking to one of the churches and He says, this, I know your deeds. I know that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other, but because you're lukewarm, because you're neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus is speaking to a church there. Here I assume as a church that thought that because all the outward stuff was there, 
the inward stuff was sorted out. And Jesus goes, no, let me just show you. Let me just pull back this veneer of religiosity and show you just how broken you are. And so I think when we wag our finger at people, we need to make sure that we are doing it because we're zealous for the word of God and the word of God is being outworked in our lives as well. Because God has put a holy discontent in us, not to point a finger so that there aren't fingers, fingers pointed at you. And I think we need, to, we need to get that heart. We're supposed to be light in the darkness, but if we ourselves are living in the darkness, what on earth are we doing? That was Paul's challenge to the Jews. The third thing Paul says is so dangerous about hypocrisy is that it dishonors God. Hypocrisy dishonors God. He says this, you who boast in the law, through the breaking of the law, you dishonor God. The Jews would have been cheering, like I said in the beginning, at Paul's rebuke of those who were godless. He would have, they would have been nodding their heads at the stuff that was coming for them and all the stuff Paul was saying they did. They would have been going, yeah, they did that, they do that, that's what they're like. This, 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 this. But then Paul brings the same charge against the Jews. He says, God has chosen you. In Isaiah 43, 7, says, God's chosen you to bring glory to him. That's why he's chosen you. But by your disobedience, you have failed to honor God. And you've thought that just because you have a title or a position or a forefather or because you do certain ritualistic things during the day that you're safe from the wrath of God, your religiosity has blinded you. And in some ways, that's even worse than the godless because they at least admit that they don't love God. But you on the other side, you religious people, you say you love God and you represent me, but you're living lives just as bad as the pagans are. And you're dishonoring my name. See, an unsaved person who denies the existence of God is not dishonoring the name of God. But when you bear the flag and you say that you're a Christian, or in their case, when you say that you're a Jew and a, and a daughter, a son of the living God, and you live contrary to the word of God, you're dishonoring God. In the same way God has chosen us, Ephesians 1, 4 to 6 says, God has chosen us to be the praise of his glory and of his grace. There are times when God's word presents being obedient to him as a blessing, and it really is. It's, it's a real blessing to be obedient to the word of God. You are blessed when you are obedient to the word of God. God blesses us in so many different ways when we are, are obedient to him. But the most important reason for obeying the word of God is because it honors him. It honors him and it glorifies him. We should really fear the sin of hypocrisy and religiosity. We should really hate it. Paul ends with these words, and this is what I'm going to end with this evening. He says, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person, praise is not from other people, but from God. Again, this would have been shocking news to the Jews, because I don't know if you know, they actually begun to put their hope and trust in the physical circumcision of people. They put their hope in that actual act. That you are circumcised means that you are saved. That you're okay with God. Like we sometimes do with coming to church and being baptized. 
and going to a Bible study and singing worship songs and playing Christian music in our cars. They started to put their hope and their trust in the fact that they did that, as if, as if somehow it in itself miraculously saves them, that God is so impressed with this act. Paul's saying to them, no, 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 no. These Gentiles that you so despise, they are getting it right in a way that you're not because they're being transformed from the heart. They don't have this legalism. You're wrongly concerned with the outward matters and God is looking into your heart. That's why David prays that prayer in the psalm. He says, God, search me and know me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Search me, God, I wanna know. If you had to ask a religious Jew, are you going to heaven? They would have been incredibly offended. Am I going to heaven? Of course I'm going to heaven. I'm Abraham's seed. Celebrate Passover. I'm God's chosen people. I have the Torah. I've got scripture on my doorpost, on my forehead, bound around my wrist. I teach my family the word. My son's circumcised. I'm circumcised. We're saved. So they put absolute assurance in the outward stuff, but their hearts were so far from God. And not every Jewish person was. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that Paul here is addressing those who thought thought that they were saved because of their outward deeds, but their lives were totally contrary because their hearts were robbed of love and life. It's the same as us saying, yeah, I'm saved because I grew up in a Christian home. I've always believed in God and gone to church. Yeah, I've got a Bible next to my bed. Got to dust it off every now and then, but it's there. Years ago, I invited Jesus into my heart to be my Savior. But then when you ask person, has there been any real change? Is, is, this, is there a habitual outpouring and outworking of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? And if the answer is no, you've got to challenge yourself or that person as to whether they really actually need Jesus or whether they're living a hypocritical religious system of a life. Reality with God means having a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Reality with God means having a changed heart from the inside out. It's impossible to do it from the outside in. It means having a changed lifestyle and desiring to be obedient to the word. You cannot substitute Jesus and genuine relationship with him for a false religious system. You're going to die. Following religious rituals has never saved anyone true religion is a matter of God taking hold of you and turning your life upside down to the spirit of God because of the personal work of Jesus and then you walk faithfully following him that's Paul's indictment on the religious people and maybe it's been a challenge to you it has most certainly been a challenge to me there are times in my life where I've got to work through some stuff where I think just because I know things and have a specific job that I'm sort of maybe exempt from some of the stuff other people have to work with. Let me tell you, just openly and honestly, we all wrestle with that stuff, even as pastors. I know some of you guys think you've got an ADSL line to that. It's got just the same connection as you have, same struggles as you have. And I just want to say, this has been a really challenging message for me. I have to relook at my life and the things that I preach and I teach and the accountability I'm going to have to have before God for teaching it and then maybe possibly not living it out the way that I should have. And the great thing about Jesus is that every day He messes in me.
every day I can wake up and go, God, I just want to repent of this thing. I just I hate this thing. And I want to say, God, I'm sorry, and I'm going to start living a non-religious life, but a relationship life, but one that's real and not false. And I think that's God's charge to us through the Spirit tonight. Examine your heart. Examine your life. Look at what's going on in your life and what's going on around you. Look at what you say and what you do in front of people versus what you do and what you say and what you expose yourself to behind closed doors. And then deal with it appropriately according to God's leading and conviction in your life. Right? If this has felt hopeless and really challenging, good. That's what Paul's meant to have done here. That's what he's doing. And then we're going to move into a section where he brings hope and life through Jesus. All right? Let's pray quickly. Yeah, Father, I just want to thank you for your word. God, I want to thank you that you're a God who calls us to something genuine and something magnificently beyond our ability to understand that is life in you and freedom in you. And I want to pray for every single one of us, God, who's related to this, who can identify as one of these Jewish people that Paul was writing to. God, forgive us and bring freedom. Lord, bring conviction through the Spirit and the desire to respond and to submit to you. And Lord, may we be a generation of people, may we be a church of people who live for the glory of God, whose lives match what we say you've done in our hearts. And God, at any given point, may we be trusting in the Holy Spirit for that power. May we not have a form of godliness and deny its power, but may we receive the Spirit of God. And so tonight, I just want to pray that over us, that Holy Spirit, you would come and do that work. The Holy Spirit, you would come and transform hearts, renew us from the inside, get rid of the religious veil and veneer. And God, where we need to repent, where we need to say sorry to other people and to you, God, let us do that. Let us expedite that procedure. Let us go tonight, right now, in the presence of the living God. May we repent, God, and trust in you and receive your grace and forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. As we begin to worship, let's come into the presence of God.